0: Hello. Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here at Ignite. And uh, Russ is on his second week of vacation. So um, a couple of us were filling in on this series, and it's really excited. It's been a great series so far. Um, before we get started, I do want to wish every uh, father a happy Father's Day. It's Father's Day, and uh, that, that's always a great thing. Um, we're going to continue on in our series. Right now we're in a series called Full in a World That's Empty. And um, if you've been here, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and today we're just going to keep moving right along um, in Colossians, and we're going to be looking at Colossians two sixteen through 23. But before we do that, uh, before we dive in, I want us to think together about a time or times or something that we like to do, like a hobby, that just makes us really feel free from the world. Like, we can unplug um, from the daily stresses of life and just enjoy the moment. For some people, it could be like a vacation on the beach, or for others it could be exercise, running, or lifting weights. For me, this probably doesn't come uh, much to a shock to those of you who know me, there's nothing like sports. Especially live sporting events. I just love everything about it. The atmosphere, the energy, the emotion. I get excited just thinking about it. Um, one of my favorite mem- memories was on uh, Monday, December 4th, 2017, when uh, my dad surprised me. My dad and his wife surprised me uh, for with Bulls tickets. And they were playing the Cavs. So th- this was 2017. The Bulls had been pretty bad for a while now. <laughs> so I was like, this... This is going to be really bad a, a bad beating, but i'm just i 'm excited because i 'm getting to see some of the best players in in the world um, and these tickets weren 't just any tickets they were seven rows up so I was i 've never been that close i 'd only been to a couple live games before, and we were way up in the nosebleed, so I was pretty pumped about this. <clears throat> you could basically like smell the players that 's how close you were you know some of them get that b o going and warm up so <clears throat> it was amazing so <laughs> This was back when the Cavs had LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Kevin Love. So, you know, like I said, it it was pretty much a given that the Bulls were going to get destroyed. Um, But when we got there, it was amazing. Do you guys like getting free stuff? I love free stuff. Like, if it's free, it's for me, is what I say. Um, The first thing that happens when we walk through the door is they give us this awesome Bulls hat, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I was just excited to see the game, but I get this really nice Bulls hat for free. So I'm pumped already, and uh, we get to our seats, seventh row, and not long after we sit down, a guy named Matthew DeLeon shows up, and he's got some really nice photography equipment. So my dad strikes a conversation up with him, and if you know my dad, he will strike a conversation up with anyone without uh, knowing them for half a second, which is awesome. <clears throat> and so he gets to talking to, to Matthew, and um, they're, they're talking. F- turns out he's a season ticket holder, and he does some professional photography on the side. So he agrees. My, he, um, Through conversation, we tell him that we're there celebrating our birthday. So he agrees to send us some pictures, free pictures, that he gets of the game. So, and I actually, just for fun, have some of these pictures up. I got like three or four of them uh, that he sent us after the game. And as a sports fan, I'm just like, you're kidding me. This is amazing. Just some really good photos, um, which just made made that night even more special. Um, it, it was special to begin with, but just like all the stuff that happened, it was just a, a great time. And in, in that night, in that moment, I, I, I didn't really think about anything else. I was just enjoying that moment. I was free uh, from all the other stresses of life. Um, and that was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I'm not sure if I'll ever be seven rows up on, a, on, a, on an NBA floor again. But when I started thinking about, like, everyday life, most days don't feel like that at all, do they? They feel kind of stressful, like the grind of waking up every morning, getting ready, going to work. Uh, it's just I'm thinking about tomorrow already. I'm like, ah, oh, I got to stop doing that. But, I mean, no, does anyone get a free paycheck in here? You know? if you do, I'm sitting submitting my resume to your employer. No, we have to work hard for our money, and not only that, like, you have daily house chores. If you've got kids, that's a whole other ball ballgame, too, which essentially leaves you no free time for yourself. So it can be very just, I don't know, depressing. And sometimes I think, man, if only I could find, like, a hidden treasure or a... Uh, or like hit the lotto then i would be happy and free you know i i did some research on the lotto uh, 90 million adults play the lottery annually so everyone's looking to hit that lotto so they don't have to uh, <laughs> be tied down to the worldly things and i'm not i'm not judging if you play the lotto <laughs> hey you can do a lot of good things with 90, with the the lottery money but does anyone else feel like that you know like the the, the daily grind is is tough if you do, it's okay. I think all of us do are uh, go through that, and today we're going to be talking about a new way to be free, so I'm really excited. Um, uh, again, we're going to be looking at Colossians 2, 16 through 23 together. Uh, you can follow along in your Bibles, the Ignite app, or on the slides, and we're going to start just by reading through the entire passage, and then I'm going to break it up into three sections, and we're going to talk about some points, get to some points um, So we'll go ahead and start. Uh, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes on into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ through the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-impaired worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in, restating, in restraining sensual indulgence. So this text is, is the centerpiece of Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And it's pretty deep. So he starts it by saying, therefore. So when you look back at the prior Passage, He's been talking about how Christ has canceled our sins, nailing them to the cross. But there's another problem going on in in this area. Um, There were some false teachers that had infiltrated the Colossian church. And they were basically, they were trying to force Christians and judging Christians to do certain things. So we're going to, again, we're going to break this up into three main points and look at three freedoms that we have in Christ and how this relates to us today. So section one is just going to be Colossians two sixteen through 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So this brings us to our first point. We are free from legalism. Now, these words are, are a little thick, um, but I'll, I'll go through the definitions and then relate it to, to us today. So legalism is measuring our spirituality based on our ability to follow the man-made rules. So in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of man-made rules. Um, there were dietary laws that set apart God's people from their idol-worshiping neighbors who would worship certain kinds of animals. However, when Jesus came, he abolished these um, and Jesus himself tells us in Mark 7:14 and 15, listen to me. Everyone who und- and listen to me everyone and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Yet, what's going on is these false teachers are saying the exact opposite in Colossae. Some of them actually believed that they could never eat anything that tasted good, and they judged others if they didn't follow the same rules. Could you imagine, like, if you walked in today, and somebody in here judged you for grabbing, a like, a cookie instead of a grape? Kind of that thing. Like, oh, look, he's not a good Christian. He had something that tasted good. Oh, he put creamer in his coffee. He should have drank it black. That That's the kind of stuff that was happening. Um... And they they not only judge them for that, but they judge them for how they observe certain days and how they worship. So we all probably deal with judgment on a daily basis: um, how we look, how we parent, how we eat. We live in Morton, and Morton's a great community. But there's this there's kind of this like wealthy attitude. It's there, there's a little bit of a judgmental attitude in Morton sometimes. I feel like, and sometimes I stress out about like how people will judge me or, like, what my kids are wearing to school. Dumb stuff like that. Um, but it's part of, part of life, and I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. You know, my kids have Walmart shoes, not Nikes, <laughs> because I can't afford that. So, but a lot of kids have wealthier clothing um, in Morton. Does anybody else, can anyone else relate? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, unfortunately, you have this type of judgment that happens inside the church also, Also. Not maybe in exactly the same way, but it's the same sort of issues overall that Paul is, is kind of addressing to the Colossian church. So growing up as a kid, I always had this kind of belief that if you like drank or smoked, you probably weren't a good Christian or as good of a Christian as others. Um, and my great-grandma used to say, Budweiser makes you Bud dumber, <laughs> <laughs> which was hilarious. But um, my my great-grandma and grandpa were huge in my faith and in my spiritual life. But I think it was just at a young age, little things like that kind of instilled this belief in me that like, oh, if you drink, then you're not really a Christian or you're not a good Christian or you're a bad Christian. And as I got older, I realized that's not necessarily true um, and it's not biblical. In fact, the first public miracle that Jesus performed was turning 120 gallons of water into wine. So Jesus knew how to party. Um, (laughs) I mean, we know from scripture, obviously, Alcohol can be damaging. So we do have to to keep in mind, like, drunkenness is a sin. We should, we should abstain from that. We should also be careful who we're drinking around. If it's going to be a stumbling block to somebody, then we should absolutely be aware of that. And we should be aware of our own habits so that we're not falling into a sinful lifestyle. <laughs> that being said, <clears throat> if someone has a personal conviction about abstaining from alcohol, then praise God for that. That's God speaking to them. But that does not give them permission to judge others who might not have a personal conviction and vice versa. A Christian who drinks should not judge a Christian who doesn't drink. So as I was preparing for this message, I I like Francis Chan a lot. And he was preaching on a similar topic. And he was like, you know, before I came in today, I honestly thought about stopping by the liquor station and just coming in and and drinking a beer while I but he's like but I chickened out so but it's kind of a hot topic alcohol really is Um, but it's not just that it's how we dress at church have you ever been to a church like I I remember as a kid there was a church like if you weren't dressed in like super nice clothes you kind of got the stink eye it's like he does not have a tie on what's this guy doing or like how you worship too I say, if you dress up, praise God. If you had a rough week and you stroll in in your pajamas, praise God even more. Like that's that's what. There's no dress code for church. Like God wants you here in His house. Um, there's no dress code to worship God. If you want to worship and stand silent, praise God. If you feel moved to run and dance around here, you should feel free to do that. There's no there's no judgment here. Um, <laughs> please do. I I would love to see that. And in, in Psalms, David even says, let us praise our Lord with dancing. So don't let anyone make you feel like you'd be judged for that. Um, Christ set us free from legalism, which is judgment. Right? So that's the first part. So let's move on to the second part of this passage. Section two, Colossians two eighteen and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So our second point today is that we are free from mysticism. I know it's a weird word. Mysticism is is when you are seeking spiritual experiences apart from the truth based on feelings or sensations. So in addition to legalism, there was this mysticism that was happening in Colossae. And these false teachers were pushing Christians to, like, worship angels and to put their faith in, like, man-made visions that they were creating. Um, and they would actually deprive themselves of, like, sleep and nourishment to the point of hallucinations and then try to pretend like that was God, like they were they were experiencing a spiritual thing through God. Um, because they, they believed that you could not approach God directly, so that's why they were practicing these things. And then they were judging other Christians who weren't doing that. And Paul says that acting like that, we aren't good enough to approach God, is actually false humility. And um, if anyone is, is doing something like that, don't let them disqualify you. They walk around boasting about their experiences, but they are the flesh and puffed up by their unspiritual mind. If someone is walking around boasting about their humility, it's not humility, it's pride, which is not from the Lord. So Paul, he actually had probably one of the most extraordinary supernatural experiences recorded in scripture during his conversion in Acts um, when he was traveling to Damascus. And this was when he was still Saul and he was persecuting Christians, throwing Christians in jail. And as he was traveling, Jesus shows up and blinds him and gives him a vision that a a man named Ananias would heal him in three days. and, And sure enough, Jesus sends Ananias to him. Three days later, he lays hands on Paul and heals him. Excuse me, i got to get a drink. So Paul could have easily gone around boasting about this experience. Because if you think about it, like, Paul, a lot of Christians probably didn't experience anything that amazing, like that supernatural. And here Paul is, like, killing Christians, having them thrown in jail, and he has this amazing experience. Um, He could have easily gone around boasting uh, and being prideful about that. But instead, it says he immediately goes out and begins preaching and proclaiming Christ. And he actually also writes, Paul writes in First Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. He says if, uh, if um, others are practicing mysticism, they've lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So if somebody's not staying connected to Christ and they're practicing trying to create these other supernatural experiences or something they're basically they' they're harming themselves um, they're not able to grow in in Christ at that point uh, I actually this is kind of a weird story, but it, it does relate um, <clears throat> it, when I was uh, in college, I was playing basketball and I went up for a rebound, and when I came down, I came on a guy 's foot, and my foot that this foot my left foot came all, completely off my leg, one hundred percent in this location, and it was swinging under my leg when my dad picked my leg up. Sorry if you had a lot to, to eat this morning. I apologize. Um, and the reason I share this is because I, I get the same picture, like, from, from mysticism, kind of, and what Paul's saying to the Colossians is anytime we disconnect ourselves from Christ, we are stunning our growth. We start dying. No matter how hard we try to, to be connected to him, we can't. Um, much like my foot, like I could have stared at my foot and been like, please get back on my leg, but that's not going to happen. Like the only way, the only way for my foot not to die is to get it connected back onto my body. Um, I can't try to create that. It has to physically happen. I have to be connected. It has to be connected to my body. Um, And that's just the imagery God gave me for that. And, um, it's, it's crazy, because if you think about it, we really can't. We can't make ourselves grow closer to God by trying to create any, any sort of thing. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, um, is to bridge that gap so that we could be connected to God. Um, we can approach God. Um, and I think there's times in life, in life, though, when we feel like we can't. And the enemy loves to make us feel like God doesn't care and like we can't approach him. I know there's been times in my life, like when I've felt defeated, in times when I've wanted just to disconnect myself. Um, Maybe I don't want to go to church. I don't feel like praying. I'm just frustrated. Anybody else ever feel like that at times? Um, You don't want to be around anyone, especially if you've been hurt by the church or judged by someone in the church. That makes it even harder. And that's right where the enemy wants us because if he can get us to disconnect from the body and from Christ, the head, that's when he can get in and our spirit can start to die. Um, but it's in those times when we need to stay connected to Christ the most and um, and to each other, too. It says that we grow together, jo- join together um, in that passage. I'm going to go back because I love it so much. Um, and just read it one more time. Because I, I think we lose sight of like that togetherness, too, like doing life together sometimes. You know, we all have busy schedules, to do lists, but it says right here, we've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, us, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So we need to stay connected to Christ and each other if we're going to grow as God wants us to grow. Um, lastly, is the third section of this passage, which is Colossians two twenty through twenty three. And this says, "Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch." These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatments of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence indulgence. So our third point is that we're free from asceticism. And I know it's these words. I question using these words, but hopefully you're, you're hanging in there. Um, asceticism is basically severe discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgent by completely separating yourself from the world to become more acceptable to God. So basically, you don't feel like Christ was enough. You have to do things to make yourself feel more accepted by God. The most extreme example of this was a man named Simeon Stylites. Um, He decided that in order to make himself more acceptable to God, that he was going to live the last 36 years of his life on top of a pillar. Um, And for food, he would have some boys from like a nearby village use a pulley system to give him the minimum that he needed of goat's milk and stuff like that just to survive. He was completely exposed to the elements and never came down and it actually says that, like, he tied himself up there, so he had rotting flesh and ma- it, it, it just crazy stuff, like maggots and all kinds of crazy stuff. But he actually believed that he had to do this to honor God. I mean, it's really sad to think about. Um, cause Paul tells us that this kind of behavior has the appearance of wisdom, but in reality, it's just another form of false humility. It accomplishes nothing in terms of making us more acceptable to God. This sort of self denial focuses on the basic principles of the world, but these material things on earth that can be touched, smelled, or tasted perish as we use them. Um, I was thinking about one of my good friends actually, and he reminds me of Simon in a way. Obviously, not in an extreme way, but in a way that I, I can relate with today. And me and my friend, his name's Mike, uh, we played basketball from kindergarten all the way through high school. and. Um, I noticed something about my friend he was he was an amazing basketball player, but he never really seemed to enjoy himself fully. Um, he loved the game like there's no denying that, but he there was something else like inside that you could tell he he couldn't really like just live and live in it and enjoy it fully um, and I realized i i would watch i've always been one to like like really just like study i don 't know. But I was trying to figure out, like, what, what's, what is it about Mike that he seems like he can't fully enjoy this? And he actually, I noticed um, one time, as I got older, he wore these rubber bands on his wrist. And anytime he did something bad, like turn the ball over or, or missed a big shot, he would pull that thing back as hard as he could and let it smack him. And as I got older and I encountered certain situations, I realized that he was so worried about making his dad proud that he would essentially punish himself anytime time he did something wrong. Um, and I think he just got consumed by fear that he wouldn't be accepted if he didn't play his best game every time he stepped on the court. And there were times we lost big games. He would completely isolate himself no matter how much you tried to um, be around him and encourage him. He, he didn't want to be around you. Um, he didn't want to talk to anyone. And I, f- I really feel like it's it's kind of like Simon's, because he felt like he didn't honor his dad, like he didn't make his dad proud. He felt like he deserved to be punished if he had a bad game. Um, and that kills me, because that's not the heart of God at all. Um, and Mike and his dad have a great relationship now today, but it's just, I know, I know that's why he struggled like enjoying the game fully, is because he worried about that so much. Um, but we can we can have peace and we can have freedom knowing that God loves you just the way you are. He's proud of you. He wants a relationship with you and he wants you to live in freedom that we have in Christ. If we walk around like we aren't good enough, uh, that's essentially slapping Jesus in the face. Christ is enough. Amen. Uh, he paid it all so that we could be free from the guilt of sin and share this hope with others. So we, we, don't, have to, we don't have to worry about... Um, trying to, to make ourselves acceptable to God. If you accept Christ as your savior, God loves you. You're going to mess up sometimes. God loves you. You don't have to smack yourself with rubber band. You know what I mean? You don't have to beat yourself up over that. Um, it, that's, that's not what look, God wants. And that's not why Jesus died for us. Jesus actually commands his disciples in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This should be our daily mission also. It shouldn't be to, like, withdraw and sit on a, on a pillar, you know, because I feel like sometimes when we feel defeated, it's easy to withdraw and isolate ourselves like that. Um, but Jesus saved us from the pit of hell. And if you think about that, that should be all that matters. That should be on the forefront of our minds. Um, and this world is our mission field. We shouldn't be enslaved by, by thoughts that, that the enemy tries to sneak in that we're not good enough. Uh, Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have life to the fullest. So let's live life to the fullest. Let's not let any, any sort of judgment or any sort of thoughts from the enemy, like we aren't good enough or not acceptable to God, let's not live like that. Let's live in the fullness that Christ gave us. I want to close with this story um, that's told by a guy named Eli Weissel in his book, Souls on Fire. And this story is really cool. Um, in a faraway Krakow lived a man named Isaac, <laughs> Isaac was a poor man who struggled to provide for his family, but one night he had a vivid dream, and in his dream he saw a distant city of Prague. There was a river flowing through the city, and under a particular bridge he saw a buried treasure, and when he woke up the next morning, he could not stop thinking about this dream. The dream returned the next night and the next night. Every night for two weeks, Isaac had the same dream. Finally, he decided, you know what, I'm going to make the journey to Prague and see for myself if this dream might be real. So, after several days of walking, he arrived in the city. And even though he had never been there, he instantly recognized it from the dreams that he was having. He found the bridge where he had seen the treasure. He went under the bridge to search, and suddenly he was snatched up by a soldier and dragged away to prison for interrogation. The soldier sat him down in a chair and asked, What are you doing here prowling around under the bridge? Isaac answers him with the truth. Well, I've been having dreams that there's buried treasure under that bridge and I was looking for it. Immediately the soldier burst into a mocking laughter. Don't you know that you can't believe in your dreams? Why for the last 2 weeks my, I myself have had that I myself have had a dream every night in that faraway city of Krakow in the house of a man named Isaac there's a treasure buried beneath the sink. Wouldn't it be most idiotic if I traveled all the way to Krakow to look for something that doesn't exist? I could waste a lifetime looking for treasure that doesn't exist. With uproarious laughter, the soldier stood him up and kicked him out the door. Isaac hurried back to his house in Krakow, and when he finally arrived, he went straight to the sink, and beneath the sink in his own kitchen was the treasure that the soldier had dreamed about, and Isaac and his family lived wealthy until they passed on. The reason I love this story is because I think as Christians, it's the same thing. Um, sometimes it's easy to like dream of worldly things, like, um, like I said earlier, like hitting the lotto or, or how, how, like trying to find out how can I be free from like my job? Like, I just want to feel free. I don't want to feel like I have to do all these things every day. Um, but the truth is we forget that we are free. Jesus Christ who resides in us is our treasure. That's amazing to think about. Um, I think it's so easy to lose sight of that, but we, we have complete full freedom inside through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. So, I just want to challenge us not to let the, the world weigh us down. And I know I'm preaching to myself. I struggle daily. Um, but through these points, I hope you see like you're free from judgment. Um, you're free to approach God and you're, you don't have to earn God's acceptance. We do qualify for the prize. And that's amazing news. Um, we don't have to fight for the victory. We get to fight from the victory. So today I want to challenge us to start living in that freedom and just remind us that we have full freedom to live our lives in Jesus Christ. And let's pray. <laughs> Father God, I just thank you so much for today and um, just for this, this church, for Ignite. And I really just ask that um, going forward from today, you would, you would remind us of our freedom. That every morning we wake up, we have you. You're our treasure. We don't have to, we don't have to fight for freedom. We have freedom. Um, And I just ask that we would just cling to that and that knowing that we would just shine your light in the world each and every day wherever we are at our jobs that we'd actually look forward to going into our workplaces, out into the world, um, being around the lost, being around the broken, the hurting, and just loving on them and just bringing your hope. And um, I just lift up everyone to you today and just praise you for, for everything, Jesus. And we pray this all in your name, amen.